Hello and welcome to 10 Very Big Books, a Malazan read-through podcast. My name is AJ and I have read the first seven and a half books in this series and maybe eventually I will have read them all. I guess it's eight and a half, isn't it? We're on the eighth book? Seven? I don't know. You've read anyway, seven and a half. You've, you've read, read seven, seven plus one right. half of the eighth. Uh, with me today, as always, is my best friend and childhood enemy, Peter Bond. Hello, thank you for hosting the show. It's bright and early here in Japan. With me also is my current enemy, Joshua Baker. And uh, what a lovely enemy ship it's been, man. And finally, of course, last but not least, the one who is currently in a battle with Streptococcus, I forget what the technical term is for it, India Jones. Hello, India. Don't make fun of my voice, but hello. I would never make fun of your voice. I wouldn't dream of it. Today on this Malazan read-through podcast, we'll be talking about chapters 15 and 16, and it feels really weird to have such a succinct intro. Um, so I'm really going to need someone to throw a wrench into it so we can just kind of like have it really fucked up. Uh, oh, well, perfect timing. India has a volume issue, so that could be the <laughs> wrench. Um, Great. So should we start? Should we start yelling then? That's pretty good. Is this a good bit? I think that's um, a no. I would actually say not a good bit. Uh, I could right. come up. Do you? I could probably come up with something. <laughs> I had f- a, I had a bit about fashion advice, and then I brought it to our Patreon bonus episode, and then AJ made fun of me because oh, apparently yeah. my fashion sense was a little one year behind. And I sorry, like I'm not. S- sorry, I'm not up to fashion trends, <laughs> AJ. I'm sorry, yeah. I'm too busy living in a remote town. Yeah, you know, I'm not all big city life there, living sex in the city. You and Carrie getting mimosas. <laughs> you know. I- I just want to say my new fashion thing is, as you guys can tell, I really like showing a lot of chest hair yeah, now. Yeah, dude, but it's really show hard, it off. It's really hard to justify that as a teacher. And like, I have mm. to do these parades this weekend and mm. I would love to just be Jay chilling, you know, pop that shirt open, just like let it out. And I know I can't, and I'm gonna be very sad all weekend. Yeah, you gotta, you should get a tattoo that says like, name of school, pride. So you can be <laughs> like, no, I'm just showing it up, but you gotta get it really low on your chest. So you have to unbutton down oh to like halfway. God. That's so new good. meaning for new meaning for Pride Month. You know, yeah. bears can be <laughs> teachers too. You know. <laughs> so yeah, I think uh, that's that's a sufficient uh, intro for me. So why don't we? All move- right, we've we've broken the ice a sufficient <laughs> amount. You may have had a chuckle or two. You've warmed up. Yeah, time to get in. Time, time, time to 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 stick a toe in, and and you know, water's fine, and et cetera, et cetera. Let's let's hop into chapters fifteen and sixteen of Toll the Hounds. Chapter 15 At the mines, Harlow tries to mend his relationship with Banisk. They talk about a haunted tower and ghosts. Harlow thinks about his parents and his uncle Gruntle. In Carol's bar, Blend thinks about Mallet and Blue Pearl. Solara brings her some food and Blend says she's unsure if the ex-Malazans will be able to recover. Downstairs, Picker and Duiker discuss the Segula found in the cask. Picker says there are 12 in total. Duiker says this made Baruch upset. Picker talks to Ansi about the guild and its employers and Perrin. They decide they want to send him a message. On the way to the Azath, Ansi thinks about the fate of the Bridgeburners and how they're more family now than squad. He tells Picker that he thinks they've lost their edge. Picker agrees. At the Azath, the pair is welcomed by Raist. Raist agrees to help them contact Perrin, 
in return for a favor. Raced tells Picker that if she concentrates on the master of the deck's card, that she may be able to see him. When she does, she sees Perrin in the remnants of farmland. She reaches out to him, and he tells her that Baruch knows what to do, and that Darugistan can take care of itself. He tells her to talk to Krupp, talk to the eel. Before he can give his final warning, he disappears. Picker feels claws in her mind, attacking her soul, eating it. A new spirit shows up, saying, not now, not here, and attacking this hostile presence. Picker drags herself away, trying to find Ansi to tell him about Perrin. She has a realization. Vorkan is gone. Race drags Picker's body to safety and tells Ansi he wants a pet cat. At Hinter's tower, Baruch talks to the ghost about the return of Raced, the forces within Darugistan, the crippled god, and Vorkan. Before leaving, Baruch asks Hinter to allow Chilbase to stay in the tower to keep an eye out, and to protect Hinter from those who would resurrect the tyrant. On his way home, Baruch thinks about a meeting he had with Vorkan, shortly after her escape from the Azath. She told him she'd like to keep her level of comfort, and when Baruch says the guild will fall, she agrees. Baruch now thinks Vorkan knows what was coming, so she sent her daughter away and removed herself from the guild. Krupp tells us that Lady Envy has taken a new lover, a caster of nets, a trailer of hooks, a bard. Torvald talks with Tessera about the lady's estate and her place on the council. Then he leaves. Before finding munitions of the Blue Maranth in a cache hidden by Torvald, Tessera reads the Deck of Dragons. City, then Rope, a nest of Obelisk, Soldier of Death, and Crown, then Knight of Darkness, and another nest. King of High House Death, King in Chains, and Decembray. Then finally, the tyrant. She sees the end of Darugistan. At the Phoenix Inn, Torvald talks to Krupp about wanting to meet with Ralik, but being worried the assassin might want to kill him. Cutter thinks about his relationship with Chalice after they've had sex. He worries that he's simply become a weapon on which she's impaled herself but also thinks there's something alluring about that. He thinks about Absalar and how he's hurt Scalara. Chalice does some thinking as well about Gorlis and how he sees her now. He had told her of a falling out between his compatriots and she worries what Gorlis might do if he finds out about Cutter. She attempts to warn Cutter to lay low and watch his back but Cutter brushes the warnings off, and they have an argument about Chalice's station in life and the choices she has. They agree to meet again the following night. Walking home, Chalice feels trapped. She wonders if she could use Cutter to get the life she desires. Barathal's business is suffering because of the guild's blacklisting. The smith worries he's gotten himself mixed up in two wars. At Stormy's dueling school, Marilio thinks how Bellum Nam, a distant Nam relative, is the only student worth teaching. 
Marilio has been looking for Harlow, but to no avail. Stoney tells Marilio she's considering handing the school over to him. He can feel her slipping away, and tells her he has one more thing he wants to try. In Carol's bar, Picker is still unconscious. Blend sets out to find the nest of assassins. Ancy asks her how she intends to do that. Simple, she says. I'm going to ask the eel. Okay, so we start chapter 15 back at the mines uh, with Harlow and Bainisk uh, talking about the city and all of that stuff. Uh, Harlow talks about Hinter, uh, which is a ghost we'll meet soon. Yeah, then uh, Harlow does some thinking. Uh, Pete, what'd you, what'd you think about this scene with Harlow and Bainisk? Uh, I kind of enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Um, I enjoyed them, this kind of passage about kids having a love of the unknown, which is something I agree with. In mm-hmm. fact, I was on a run the other day and I just see some kid absolutely vibing, hanging out, just like holding pebbles mm-hmm. and having more joy than <laughs> any adult has doing anything in life, you yeah. know? And that's really beautiful. And I, so I do think, you know, the passage is obviously getting at something there. And I enjoy how that characterization does not extend only to Harlow, but also extends to Banisk. So, right. who is um, also a kid. Who is, yes, is also a child. And I also think it obviously relates to that other passage about art, kids being artists and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Um, it was from a while back. So, yeah, Krupp was um, talking about it. Yeah. Yeah, it was just a nice, nice little intro thing and kind of further, further developing on it. And obviously it kind of gets into some ghost stuff. But um, yes, yeah, I, I don't know. It didn't didn't change my life, but a, a nice way to start the chapter. <laughs> yeah, no, I thought it was nice. Uh, we move to Kroll's bar. Blend is thinking about the dead bridge burners and uh, Dewicker and Picker talking. Josh, anything about this? Uh, this little bit strike you at all and make you feel anything, make you think anything. You know, I find really Solara's point of view here really mm. sad. <laughs> Wait, was that is that this chapter where she's like sad about taking Dewerker away, or is that a previous chapter? That was last chapter. Yeah, I'm still going to talk about it. I think it's really not. I think it's a really <laughs> interesting POV there. Uh, yeah. we, we you know we pick her up here, kind of just kind of doing whatever she can to help. Mm-hmm. Also, I've said before, these Malazans are at any moment n- have no gender until someone uses a pronoun. I never remember <laughs> any of them except that Blue Pearl's a dude. Yeah. So, and also, I-, I guess I really forgot that Picker and Blend were in mm-hmm. love with each other. Yeah, shout out. Yeah, which is beautiful and nice, but I also really feel like it has been ob- obfuscated a lot. Mm. Uh, we haven't, unless unless I'm just that dense, which by Pete's look, maybe I am that dense. I had like really forgotten that they were a thing, so... Yeah. Or maybe weren't a thing, but were dancing around being a thing. Yeah, I feel like up until this book, I had that same impression of like, I wasn't sure oh, if well, they AJ, were like... AJ, that could be forgiven. We haven't seen them in four books. <laughs> well, yeah, but <laughs> I just mean like, I feel like any interaction they had prior to this book, they were just kind of like good squad mates and stuff. And I feel like in this in this book, like every scene, we have seen them get written closer and closer to like being in an actual relationship. Whereas in this, I think the next chapter, I think is like... Oh, they're definitely like in yeah, love. yeah. I uh, I, just, I thought it was nice though. Although, of course, as soon as it's like really spelled out for us, they like it's unattainable because one's unconscious or you know mm-hmm. one wants revenge and it's a whole mm-hmm. thing. Also, what age does everyone think these people are? Oh God, 
Age, age is just a number, Josh. Um, you should know that. Um, Somewhere uh, between twenty and forty, like <laughs> I, 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 but that's a big gap, huh? Yeah, because they're all guess, veterans. But yeah. like, you know, did they join at fifteen? And are they <laughs> veterans of like a twelve-year war? Maybe they could be fucking twenty-seven, or they could be thirty-nine. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's which so true. is which is a gulf. Yes, Pete, you're gonna say, oh, a yawn, let it out. <laughs> I guess I would say I agree that I mean first off you how dare you come for them in pride month of all months but um, no I would say it is not like it is a huge romance that is a huge part of the book so sure. whilst mm-hmm. you know no I, I, romance I do, is a huge part of the book I, well there uh, are uh, well I would agree yeah even the even the romance storylines that are there and that are a part of it I would not say are central to the story and definitely picker and blend being in a relationship and, and this is really the first time there's even a story to the relationship that's not just like oh and they're together yeah <laughs> yeah you know yeah which like but I'm I don't know I'm cool like let's I, I love a good love story and I love talking about human drama so sure let's mm. the two of them have some relationship issues to work through you know yeah yeah, yeah. Speaking of human drama, let's transition to something that's completely the opposite, uh, but I guess still kind of wrapped up in the whole Picker and Blend stuff. Uh, Picker wants to go to talk to uh, Raced at the Azath to perhaps talk to Gano's Perrin. Uh, India, do you miss Gano's Perrin enough to go to some magic house and uh, think about a, a card with his face on it? Question is, how could she just get out once she goes in? I did also have that question that like, oh, you can just go inside and then come out? Right. Yeah, I guess uh, all we've seen is people get stuck in the Azath. We've never seen anybody like... But like, what makes them stuck? Like, that's the question for me. I guess but that's anyway. the question. Um, no, I wouldn't. Also, how does she even know raced? They should have just stuck to not... I don't know. No, not interested. But <laughs> don't, don't miss don't miss Perrin at all. Really? No, I kind of forgot about him, didn't you? Not really. I feel like of all the characters that I stop thinking about when they're not in a book, I feel like Perrin is one that I'm always like, I wonder what Perrin's up to. Uh, That's hysterical. <laughs> I kind of like the image, though, of like, it's like you're like FaceTiming, but the person's like a card and it's like a yeah. picture that's drawn. You know, that's kind of that's kind of cool. Pretty yeah, sick. kind of cool. I kind of like the scene with Perrin, you know, because yeah. you're like, oh, there's the there's him. Can I ask a question, though, of, of Pete? Because I've fully fucking forgotten. Okay. Last we saw Perrin, please help me remember, was not last book, correct? We went a whole book without seeing him? I think the last we saw, he was getting on the boat after leading all those people through that plague place. Like, they had done that, and then they were, like, getting on a boat. And have we seen him since? I believe that's correct. All right. I was making sure that I hadn't forgotten, like, a single paragraph. <laughs> but also, I'm mostly unsure, so I'm just agreeing with you. Thank so, you. Thank you. But that is where his story ends in Bone Hunters, for sure. And I yep. think that's the last time we saw him. Yeah, I also I also think so, Josh. I think the closest we got to Perrin in the last book was having Hedge be a character. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think funny. that's about that's about all we got. Josh, did you I, did you have any feelings about this uh, this Azath stuff, this uh, this warning uh, and this uh, beckoning to go talk to Krupp? Well, hold on, India was going to interject. Oh, I'm sorry. It was I like race, so I actually would like to change my answer and say <laughs> I, in fact, would go. He's a funny guy, mm. and yeah, I was I was I like the whole cat thing. The cat thing's funny. Cat thing's very good, but also worrying. 
because like it did feel like he he's gonna like sacrifice that cat to get out of there or something Mm-hmm. I liked race until we left, and then multiple people were like, "Yeah, that race fellow can't be trusted ever, <laughs> and will and will always try to rule." And I was like, "Feels a little, little yeah. foreboding." In India, we've we got a lot of I feel like hints throughout these last these these two chapters that like maybe race is going to come back and fuck shit. <laughs> Are you excited for that? If he does it in a funny way. Then yes, if he's only being funny to like make people forget that he's fucking crazy. Mm. Like when he asks, he asks Picker, he's like, are you crazy? And she's like, ah, how would I know if I'm crazy or not? And he's like, ha 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 ha. I love it. <laughs> he, it's very good. Yeah. Um, also, well, okay. Hmm. And I, I want to come back. I want to circle back. Okay. You talked about the Azath Health's bullshit. There's just a path, AJ. I don't know if didn't you hear? There's just a path that Picker happens to know. Uh-huh. For some reason, even though has Picker ever gone in? Yes, at least once because Picker saw Vorkan and Ralik Nam there, but I can't remember when Picker would have gone in, but we do know she, she did at some point and happens yeah. to know the exact path. <laughs> Cuz she's good at she's good at picking her way through. Nice. Nice. Well, she's not, well, I mean, until uh, some sort of weird demon or something starts to try and eat her soul. Yeah. Uh, and she gets kind of picked off, if you will. Oh! Uh, yeah, that kind of stinks. Um, I don't really have anything to say about that uh, other, other than it's, it's, it's stinks and it's scary. Do you, either of you have any idea what it is, like what this spirit is? Because it says, uh, what, it's like a white panther or something. Uh, AJ, no. <laughs> Also, no. I. Yeah. However, though, we you did you did try to throw me a question about the eel, and I'm really excited because I feel like we've brought back the name the eel. It can mm. only mean one thing. That's right. Circle breaker comes back from book <laughs> one. Would you like to? Could you refresh uh, the audience, aka me, on who and Circle me. Breaker is? Circle Breaker, you don't remember? He's I remember the, guard. the name. He's the guard that stands at a gate and clandestinely ignores secret meetings, but also is working for the eel the whole time. And at the end of the book, he gets on a right. boat and sails away to safety, having earned his money from the eel. Right. Everyone's coming back in book eight. Baby. <laughs> I can't wait for that. Um, Hashtag where is Circle Breaker? Yeah, I guess I, I, I guess Circle Breaker could come back. I don't remember what happened to him at the end of Gardens, other than he's just like, "Hi, I'm here," and then leaves. Yeah. So then we move on. Ancy's bringing Picker's body back uh, to the bar, but before we head back there, uh, we hang out with Baruch, uh, who's talking to Hinter, the ghost that Harlow was talking about at the beginning of the chapter. They talk a bunch about the return of Raced and everything happening in Darugistan, the crippled god. They talk about Vorkan. And then before Baruch leaves, he's like, oh, by the way, I would love to have one of my my bros hang out here and like, you know, spend time with you and like maybe keep an eye out on stuff. And the guy's like, yeah, sure, for sure. What's their name? And Baruch says, Chilbase. And the guy's like, ah, fuck. I'm I, I'm curious. Uh, do, uh, like, Josh, do you have a bead on any of this resurrection stuff? I feel like all of a sudden this these two chapters have been about like oh yeah we're trying to bring race back 
or something. I don't know. I mean, as soon as we introduced that Talani mask with Harlow, who like had yes. such strong feelings towards race, I felt like I guess he's gonna become a character in this book in some way, but I don't really understand how because from what we've seen, the Azath house is final up until this point in history, although they are weakening, I guess, as shown yeah. last book. But right. that's all I got, man. All right. Is Bill, is uh, Chillbase, is that the demon, little demon guy? Chillbase is the demon that's been hanging out with Baruch. That's yeah. what I thought. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah. I don't remember, but I remember the name. Yeah, mm-hmm. they talk about, there's like talk of Jade stuff, I think, with Chillbase. I don't really remember. I remember be, having like this big theory that Chillbase is Heboric's soul, but I couldn't tell you why. Who had that theory? Me. Oh, okay. I, I don't remember why or what, like what even led me there, but uh you know, I'll stand by it. So then uh, uh, Baruch heads back, uh, thinks back to a meeting he had with Vorkan after she escaped from the Azath. And she's basically like, yeah, the guild's going to collapse, but that's fine. I'm just going to hang out. <laughs> um, so I guess that means Vorkan hasn't had anything to do with the assassins being sent to kill the bridge burners, which is fun information. And then Krupp talks or, or we get it. We get it like a Krupp cutaway. Uh, of this like really, really flowery passage about how uh, Lady Envy is in love with Fisher uh, or they they are they are lovers, I suppose. Pete, what you, uh, when you read this the first time, did, was this on your radar at all? Lady Envy and Fisher? Um, no. And I have no comment. <laughs> okay. I was not on my it was not on my radar. However, I was Several parts of this chapter, and especially stuff Forcon said, made me think about the recent book, Orb Scepter Throne, that I read for the Ice miniseries. Oh, yeah. So shout out Orb Scepter Throne, a book I like a lot. So nice. Shout outs. India, what do you think about this uh <laughs> about about the, the new power couple on the scene? I love Lady Envy. I support <laughs> all of her decisions. Sure. Speaking of power couples, Torvald and Tessera. So good. So <laughs> yeah. fun. Do you, do you enjoy this conversation? What do you enjoy about it? I enjoy, I, I enjoy that the way that they talk is always in like a joke, kind of. Even mm. like the important conversations are silly. They're always plotting and I love it. <laughs> and yeah, that's it. Okay. Yeah, I agree. I, I really like their dynamic a, a, a bunch. Um, and then uh, I don't think we knew that, well, I... Did we know that Tessera was like some sort of magically connected person? Yes. Yes. Okay, I forgot that. Vague, <laughs> vaguely, I don't think we knew she like threw the decks down. But um, I she, love the phrase "she throws decks." She yeah. throws the decks. She like she's always ready to did it did it duel. So um, <laughs> that's funny as fuck. She. Uh, I also AJ. I feel like any in this book so far, any mundane housewife mm. is a is a witch, <laughs> almost exclusively. Yeah. Then I guess she's not mundane. Oh. Hey, we get this this deck reading and then she says that she sees the end of Darugistan. What do you think of that? Do you think of what do you, what do you think about this this deck reading? What do you I don't know what you want me to say other than the deck readings never make sense until you sure. finish the book. Sure. Uh I but like, you know, it's terrifying, I guess, cuz she mm-hmm. lives in this city, so I mean, I feel like I feel like with with this deck reading, I don't know why I said it like that. Um with this deck reading like as more cards came up, I was like, yeah, I know what that one is. Like, I kind of know who this one's talking about. Right. Um, 
which I just thought was fun. So I was just curious. Uh, uh, you know, we've got the uh, uh, the king of high house death, the king in chains. You know, the rope, the city. You know, those are all familiar things. Who's who's December again? I I always see uh, that name and I have to in the the books, Lord of Tragedy, bro. Oh, and and have we that met them? I know them well. India's <laughs> <laughs> good friend. Um, the Lord of Tragedy is like a. F- is like was kind of a quasi cult worshiping Desembre yes. amongst Malazan soldiers. Yes, mm. yes. I knew and it sounded familiar. He's the Lord of Tragedy. And different from the cult of Hood that Whiskey Jack and them were part of. That was also different, yes. Yeah. I just feel like every city kind of gets destroyed at one point or another. So, really, are we phased? Mm. New York's over, you know, after the pandemic. New, New, New York done, baby. <laughs> Listen, not my city. Nice. So then we follow Torvald to the Phoenix Inn, uh, where he once again talks to Krupp and it's like, hey, I want to meet with Ralik, but I've done something so shitty that I'm afraid <laughs> he might want to kill me. India, do you have any cousins who you're afraid to see because you think they might want to kill you for a past wrong? In fact, I have no biological cousins. Really? Wow. In fact. Well, yeah. all right, Josh. No, my cousins and I are chill. All right, Pete. I have a ton. I have a ton of great cousins. Shout out Claire. Shout out Jan. Shout out Ben. We, shout we out throw Nick. names. Shout out. Why don't Jared. you just fucking rub it in, Peter? <laughs> yeah, India, India, I only have two that are like real first cousins, so don't feel too bad. Shout out Jenny. Shout out Katie. <laughs> shout out Matt. Shout out John. And since no one's asking, I don't think any of my cousins would want to kill me either. I was wondering anyway. that too. I just. <laughs> I was about to ask you that. Sure, sure, you know, sure, sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. I would I was about to. I was <laughs> definitely about to. I, I almost was thinking said that. it. I was thinking it. <laughs> it was I, had, right there. I had no intentions of it. So. <laughs> Thank you for your honesty, Josh. Um, of course. Uh well, Pete has now gotten up from the mic when I <laughs> the critical moment. Pete, uh, we then move to Cutter, uh, thinking about Chalice after they've boned down. And he's 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 worried that that he's kind of just becoming a, a a dude she bangs. My God, <laughs> what do you think are some common Malazan euphemisms for sex? Um, hunting what? for bones. What? <laughs> Knocking the moccasins. Oh, okay. that's really good. I India. mean, that's it. I don't think we can say yeah. anymore. That one was that was the best one. Did you guys knock moccasins. <laughs> <laughs> It's good. The shit. Yeah. That's um, all I can think about now. What an awesome scene. And this is just the stuff I could eat up, you know? Um, yeah. So I, I just, I have a great time with stuff like this, you know? So mm-hmm. I don't know. What did you guys think? Well, I asked you, what do you, like, what do you, how do you, what, what, why do you like it so much? I don't know. I just think it's like, obviously some part of me relates to the story and then not that I've ever had sex outside of marriage, of course. Um, of course. Uh, but, 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 but no, uh, you know, it's just, I don't know. It's, it's kind of a sad and just kind of a real thing and kind of just like people living their lives and having being entangled in a messy way, you know? And I yeah. kind of, uh, love reading about it. I don't know. What, what did you guys think? Did you did you care about this, or did you feel like Crocus was being a bit of a I don't know, whatever? I love a good sex scene. I love it. I can't get enough of it. Yeah. The way that they wrote it, I wanted to 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 discuss. Okay. Okay. In this instant, he had become a weapon on which she impaled herself. Mm-hmm. She stabbed herself again and again. This also stuck out to me. 
loved it. Fucking loved it. And then, what was the last thing? And yes, without doubt, these were self-inflicted wounds. Facts, man. Yeah. Steve just gets it. I really like it. Crocus is a simp. You heard it here first. Oh, oh for yeah. sure. For sure. Okay, well, I don't love this dialogue, but... <laughs> There's nothing wrong with being a simp, Pete. There's nothing um, wrong. I'm a simp. I'm a huge simp. Uh, okay. India, what do you mean by Crocus is a simp? <laughs> um, I think that a simp, you know, that's somebody who is really into and would do anything for someone who doesn't care whether they live or die. Um, <laughs> Damn, that was so succinct. Thank you. Um, you think Crocus is really into Chalice? Did you? Did we read the same <laughs> thing? Were we reading the same book? <laughs> It uh, that was the question I just asked myself when you said that Crocus was really into Chalice. He's having those post come thoughts, buddy. You know, mm. everyone has them. Not to mention, there was zero protection used. Let's just put that out there. So, um, you don't know. Why maybe they had that? some sort of sheepskin situation. No, it, it very clearly said that oh, really? he spilled into Chalice. <laughs> it did. It did. That Chalice was overflowing, baby. <laughs> Jesus. Oh. Fuck. Those are up like a fucking Twinkie. Oh wow. my god. <laughs> That's some imagery. Jeez. That's um, what I'm saying. It was good. Yeah. Uh <laughs> speaking of Chalice, she's worried that Gorlis is gonna like lose it because Cutter isn't isn't one of like the approved uh tryst havers. He's not on the list of approved bulls, is what you're saying. <laughs> god. <laughs> yes. That's exactly sorry. what I'm saying. I'm sorry. So, so uh, Josh, what do you think? Do you think, uh, do you think Gorlis is going to find out and, and cut Crocus down, cut Cutter down? Um, I feel like in a fight, Cutter will murder the ever-loving shit out of Gorlis. So, uh, I'm not that worried, but also this is Malazan. So, like, you know, Cutter could just slip on a loose rock and <laughs> Gorlis kills him. Fuck. So, that is how yeah. these books work. Yeah. Did you uh did you make anything out of this conversation that Crocus and Chalice have uh about about like social standing and stuff? Oh, loved that conversation. It's really good and it's also like incredibly like I I cringe so hard like for fucking Cutter to have to have that conversation <laughs> after the deed. Like it's really easy for you to think this now, Chalice. Like thanks, cool. Yeah. I guess I'll go. Um, loved it. Big fan. Chalice has problems too, you know. It's like <laughs> I also just like the section where Chalice is like, yeah, it's where where Chalice is kind of expressing, kind of sifting through the, her emotion about whether this is like actually her exercising freedom and agency, right? Mm -hmm. Or whether this is actually just a further manifestation of Gorlis's control. Yeah. Because he is allowing her to have a tryst. Yeah. But now that he she's having it with Crocus, what does that mean? And that's where I just am so vibing with this story because I feel like you can look at it through like a lot of different layers about what it means to her in this regard, mm -hmm. you know? Because mm -hmm. I do think she is taking some agency here by having sex with him mm -hmm. for good or bad. But I do think it's clearly, I, I, I clearly think she's drawn that that's part of the big draw for her there. Yeah, I think it's interesting. I mean, we've, we've talked about it in previous uh, chapters with Chalice and Cutter uh, about this idea of like, does she have agency? Does she not? Whatever. And I don't know. I think I think she she does have it. And I think like in a way, Gorlis is like allowing her to do this or whatever. But like, 
I don't know. I think more so this like her having those thoughts speaks to her kind of being like successfully manipulated by Gorlis. Um, and in a way, he's like more like, I guess, in control uh, of the situation than I than I kind of thought he was, which kind of makes me sad. Oh, yeah, it's definitely sad. Yeah. I don't really think either of these people come out of the sex encounter huge winners. You know? No, but you know what? They agree to do it again tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, and that's realistic. And so we'll, <laughs> Literally. We'll, we'll circle back after this big fight and we'll bone it out tomorrow. And then, You know uh, what? This was probably a bad idea. We should do it. We should meet again tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> I'm having second thoughts, but I would like to test my hypothesis once more. <laughs> uh, Josh... Barathal's having a hard go at the blacksmithing due to the blacklisting mm-hmm. uh, from the guild. He's worried. Where he says he's worried that he's gotten himself mixed up in two wars. What do you think about that? I'm very bored with the storyline for the moment. It's <laughs> going to come to a head. He's either going to kill someone or die, or more likely, Chow is going to die, and I'll feel very sad about it. Uh, but I don't really think it can go anywhere else. So uh, I would like it to just culminate in whatever is going to happen. Because look, what what's the end game? He becomes a blacksmith and we never hear from him again. That's not how Steve do, buddy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's fair. If he was going to be a blacksmith, we would have left him on seven cities. Mm. Eh, we'll see. I think uh, I think maybe something happens with the guild and then he's the only actual usable blacksmith in the city. That would be uh, fun. I would love that. That sounds great. <laughs> or he forges a weapon to kill raced. I do. I I really think I mean, that's what I thought initially was that he was like going to do some like the guy who made Fiddler's magic crossbow or whatever. He was going to do something like that. Um, But it really seems like he's kind of just there to struggle uh, against a system. (laughs) Kind of. Yeah. Which is uh, fine, I guess. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, so we head over to the uh, dueling school. Uh, Murillo thinks about another nom, uh, Bellum nom. Uh, who's the, a good student and can fight well. He can't find Harlow. And then Stoney is like, uh, Stoney tells him that she is considering giving the school to him. And then he tells her that he has one more thing that he wants to try uh, to try and find Harlow. Um, India, did, you, did, did this scene uh, strike you in any way? Uh, not particularly. I'm not very intrigued with their storyline. And so... It's not very interesting to me. I would say this scene uh, in particular as well kind of seems just like another another rehashing of like the, the previous scene that we had with them where Stormy's really sad and really is kind of there as kind of like an emotional crutch uh, and they're kind of like there to grow, I guess, together. But in this in this scene, Stormy is sadder than ever. Uh, so it's just even worse. Josh or Pete, you have any feelings about this? Stoney's having a hard time. Yeah. 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 Uh, and then finally... Back at Curl's bar, Blend gets healed, but Picker is still knocked out or whatever, and then tells Ansi that she intends to find the uh, quote-unquote nest uh, of assassins uh, by asking the eel. So, uh, yeah, neat. Sl- slither, slither, eel time, baby. <laughs> eel time, baby. Josh, are you looking forward to some to some eel time, or do you think it's just going to be some nonsense cruff conversation? I'm a big Unagi fan, man. If I could pick <laughs> one sushi sauce to have the rest of my life, it's Unagi, hands down. It is good. It is the superior sauce. It's also just a good food, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. India, are you looking forward to this this blend crop conversation? Do they know who the eel is? Yes. Yeah, because Race told, uh, or sorry, Ganos uh, through the card told Picker to talk to Krupp, talk to the eel, or something like that. But why then 
Don't they call him Krupp? Because they're going to talk to the eel, not Krupp. You know, yeah. Krupp's, Krupp's kind of an alter ego situation, I think. Like, he's just playing dumb, but they don't want to talk to the dumb Krupp. They want to talk to the crafty eel or whatever. He sounds like he has multiple personality disorder. Possibly. Now, now this is a take I feel we have not gotten into with Krupp <laughs> and the eel. That it's kind <laughs> of an alternate personality. Oh, uh, a real Batman scenario. No, I guess we're like a Moon Knight. Yeah, that's... A Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde situation. <laughs> yeah. A Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde situation. I love that idea, actually. <laughs> Krupp is a Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde situation. In my mind, he turns into a big anthropomorphic eel, though, so. (laughs) Okay, that's certainly a a vision. All right, uh, so that's the end of the chapter, but before we move on to chapter 16, let's thank the Patreon people. Josh, would you like to thank our lovely backers? Of course, of course I would. This week, we would love to thank Madeline. Sebastian, Dylan, and Fox. Wow, that was an intense Fox. Yeah, I was trying to trying to channel my inner Falco. Oh, okay, yeah, no, that's good. That's yeah. good. I love that. Yeah, thank you to everybody supporting. Thank you to all of our uh, continued supporters as well. Pete and Josh and I just recorded a uh, episode where we talked a lot about um, tabletop RPGs and actual play uh, shows and podcasts. Uh, that should be up soon. Uh, but before that, will be the Star Trek episode that I've been promising since February. So uh, <laughs> that'll be up there eventually. On it, I explained why character backstories are bad and you shouldn't write them. So and then I got <laughs> I got maybe the most heated I've ever been. Uh huh. Uh huh. <laughs> Um, so check it out. Good episode. Yeah, so check it out. Uh, for just $1, you get access to that episode and any of our previous episodes as well. We appreciate any and all support. Thank you so much. But now let's move on to the next chapter. Chapter 16. The undead dragon that escaped from Hood's Warren arrives at Kalor's camp. The dragon tells Kalor that it's dreamt of a throne, and Kalor tells it the crippled god's days are numbered, yet the throne shall remain. The pair talk of the Jaghut, and an old war where some Elaine allied with them. The dragon tells him to think of the sacrifice the Jaghut made in their greatest war, against death itself. The dragon leaves, and Kalor, crying, thinks it isn't enough to simply sit on a throne. Endist Salon considers the beginning of all things and how Anamander Rake was driven to his decisions by creation's need for an endless succession of catalysts. He thinks of Anderist, Silchus Ruin and Scavendari Bloodeye, and Shadow. He resolves to believe in Rake's belief in him. In Dragnipper, Draconis drags Absalara out from under the cart and tells her she will fight alongside him when the time comes. She wonders if he is creating a resistance of similarly strong-willed souls in the sword, as will is the only thing that can fight back against chaos. Back under the cart, the patron of assassins thinks about Dragnipper and Rake. She thinks that no one, not even Draconis, would do what Rake does. On the top of the cart, Catispala is nearly finished with his tattooing of Ditch, when Ditch wakes up and tells the man to stay away. 
Draconis arrives and breaks Ditch's neck, rendering him paralyzed. Frustrated, Ditch thinks about the people like Draconis and Rake, who do what they have to do when it needs doing. Catispala continues with the tattoos. Ketavis thinks about the Andy and how they've learned to want less, while humans are constantly figuring out ways to better their odds. Ketavis tells Namander she doesn't trust Clip and that she plans to confront him. She wonders if Namander notices how similar to Rake he has become. A witch meets with the Andy High Priestess and tells her the cult of the Redeemer has been corrupted. She warns the Priestess that the corruption could spread and asks for help from Spinnock Durav. The High Priestess brings the witch to a chamber where the witch is infused with Corald Ghislaine, healing her weak heart. The witch thanks her and requests her help with Selind, but the High Priestess refuses, saying the Redeemer nor Selind need help yet, but they will act when they need to. Karsa comes back to Samar and Traveler. The undead dragon shows up, assembles into the form of an eater, and introduces himself as Tulas Shorn. He doesn't remember dying and refers to Samar as a priestess of Burn. Tulas tells Samar that Burn is sick and that the illness must be purged. He says the illness comes from the pain of the crippled god, and he's not sure if it's physical or spiritual, or if it can be mended. Tulas thinks he's seen far too much death. He flies away thinking that animals were made to bow in servitude to a succession of smarter, crueler masters. He senses his hounds, the Hounds of Shadow. He flies in their direction, wondering if they'll recognize him. The Trigal Trade Guild is thrown about in the storm and ends up outside a tavern in reach of woe. In a tower, a Jaghut sighs. Not again. Josh! That's me. We were just talking in the in the small break we had that you are horny for this dragon. Love this dragon. Tell 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 me how you felt about this uh this intro to to our undead dragon friend uh talking to Calor about how thrones and stuff and talks about some really old war against death. <laughs> so first off, I really feel like this series has done such a good job of just like trickling information on dragons to us mm. to the point that I'm like at any moment, they are fierce primal beasts that make no sense or the smartest creatures to have ever lived. Yeah. And it's really a very fine line, it feels like. Mm. And really, when this undead dragon escaped, in my mind, that was the end of it. It was just a cool undead dragon. Yeah. How foolish I was. Of course, it's also a person. And as we learned later, an incredibly important person. Because, <laughs> um, of course, this is who that is. Uh I love this whole talk because fully did not I I try I was I was reading everywhere trying so hard to figure out what what this enemy of the Jaghut could be and I was very not expecting him to be like they death. were fighting death yeah and by the way <laughs> then I sat and thought about that for a little while and I was like what could that possibly mean uh, but then also it reframes everything we know about Jaghut you know because mm -hmm. like 
all we've it really reminded me actually of that scene from a book or two ago where we uh we see the trell fighting their last great war and how yeah. futile it was because you know they were just sort of barbarian it kind of reminded me of that like this being the jagged last great stand mm. however it just happened before literally everything else from recorded history <laughs> uh right. so thought it was crazy loved it really reframes a lot of the of the book series i think and again undead dragons that are secretly important people pretty sick yeah i think that's a really interesting parallel you draw between that and the trail the trail battle i didn't even consider mm-hmm. that i hated that section so much at the time so <laughs> <laughs> oh man, loved it. Or, or you know, kind of like Red Masks people fighting their mm-hmm. last doomed war and what the survivors lessons the survivors take from that. Because the only yeah. survivors from that are like four kids. Yeah. Uh, Andy, you tuned into any of this dragon stuff at all? No, I hate it. Okay. Are you? <laughs> um, <clears throat> I was hoping that you would ask me that. The dragon telling his story is something that I truly, genuinely couldn't even focus on i tried to read it three times sure and each time i said to myself what the what are you even saying <laughs> i mean it's another one of those classic like older than time being tries to explain Correct. a tuesday you know what i mean like like what are we talking about here gang? <laughs> like, what's and then calor is such like a dickhead it's just like i i should just shut up but india he cries he cries here <laughs> he <laughs> after the cry. after after the dragon tells the story he cries <laughs> If you can't see my face, which no one can, it is blank and I don't care. (laughs) And also the dragon, like, don't even, when when you read this, because Steve's already said it's a rotted head, like dead, gross dragon. Mm -hmm. All I can see is this man with like this smelly dead (laughs) dragon having a conversation like, ew. Yeah, smelly man, smelly dragon, just (laughs) having a gross combo. Uh, Then he thinks about Kalenved. And says, uh, it's not simply enough to sit on a throne, which is cool. Then there's this whole end of Salon section, which I just hate talking about these sections uh, because I never know what's going on. Pete, how'd you feel about the end of Salon? Talking about the beginning of all things and Animander Rake doing what he did because creation needs an endless succession of catalysts and it's funny. I et think um, I used to consider end of Salon one of my favorite characters. And now I don't know why I ever thought that. <laughs> not that I don't like <laughs> Endest. What book did your feelings change? Not that I don't like Endest, but um, because I still am interested in him sometimes. But I'm definitely not. Um, I don't love. I feel like I've really fallen out of love with lore. And I've really, whether it's in books or movies or whatever, I just I feel less and less compelled to learn about. I don't know. The an ancient king from a long time ago, how the city fell or whatever, whatever. And, you know, that's that's tough because sometimes it, it can be important or, or relevant to the story. Mm-hmm. But I do feel like my appetite for that type of stuff has fallen down. And and definitely sure. Endist can be a major vehicle for some of that writing in this story. So, yeah, I think that's why I bump so hard against Endist as well. Like, I, I like lore. I do like lore, even though I just talked about how I hated that trail section. Well, that trail section rules. That, so, the, I, it just, that well, it just felt like it was out of nowhere good, at the so. time. Anyway, I, but I, I, I see what you're saying, Pete, and I do think that Endus is definitely a vehicle for like, okay, well, here's what happened in Carcanus, and here is what Animander's, Animander Rake's life has been like, um, and like with the Andy and everything, and I just feel like I've gotten to a point now, 16 chapters in, where 
every other chapter and this salon is like here's another like it's like i'm taking a history class i feel like Every time Enda Salon shows up, I'm like, ugh, I guess I have to learn something now. And and just he, he talks like a tis dandy, which is hard to understand anyway. But he's also talking about these events that are just so like obtuse to me that I feel like I just can't grasp it's what's kind of happening. Like, this ever. is why people shouldn't write character backstories. It's like, why not have why not have <laughs> this Fuck happen off. in the campaign gonna... and not you tell me about something you wrote about a long time ago? Do you know what I mean? You know what? I will agree that that if Enda Salam were a player in my game, I would tell him to shut the fuck up because we, <laughs> we don't need to do this every time, my man. Um, roll, just roll a die sometimes. You don't need to tell me your backstory every turn. Now, um, like, what if Carcanus fell in this book? Do you know what I mean? Anyway, we got to keep <laughs> right. going. So Pete, then we mm. can I ask Pete? Does any this all this Carcana stuff? I know there's a Carcanus trilogy. So yeah. like two out of three out. We're all waiting on the third. Have you read the first two? No, I was using the royal way. Okay, that actually makes me feel better because I was I was wondering for a moment if maybe you were feeling this way because you've immersed yourself in the Carcanus and you know all this already. But maybe you'll like this more once you know once you've read those books. It's uh, really interesting. I feel very torn about uh, reading those books, not only because this show is this relationship to it. Ah, whatever, we can get into it later time. But <laughs> no, it's like, I'm not, I, yeah, whatever. What? Those books exist. Josh, no, I haven't read them is the answer. Okay. Okay. Uh, so then we head into Dragnipur. Uh, and Draconis is getting the band back together or some shit. Uh, he pulls Absalara out from underneath the cart. It's like, hey, you'll fight with me, right? And she's like, sure, I guess so. Um, and then no, she's like, fuck that. We all die alone. And that's how I'm going out, which yeah. is, of course, not how it's going to happen. Oh, no, she's gonna she had... come back. No, no, no. She's like, "Fuck you, bro. I, I was born alone. I'm gonna die alone." Yeah, she gives me a real Ravens from Teen Titans vibe. Mm. Oh, that's a great pull. Yeah, that's whenever whenever I think of either Absalar, that's all I see. Yeah, that sounds that sounds about right. Well, I actually yeah. think this Absalar is quite different than Absalar or Absalar. You think Absalara is different than Absalar? Yeah, they're totally different. I, I, yeah, I, how could you compare them? <laughs> yeah so she she uh I, I i misspoke she she wants to be alone but also then thinks about how draconis is probably trying to get a group together of strong-willed people because will is the only thing that can stand up against chaos sure then we head to the uh top of the cart india uh Katispala is uh tattooing ditch when he wakes up and he's like hey i don't want that and then draconis <laughs> shows up and breaks his neck so that he can't, he can't move. Uh, and then we continue with the tattooing. What do you, what do you think about this bit? What do you think's going on with the tattoos? What do you, what, what's happening? So all these tattoos are going to get them all out, and we don't know how, but that's the plan. Mm-hmm. Don't know how. Don't know why. Don't know who decided it. Don't know why they didn't think of this before. Yeah. But uh, that's a little bit aggressive, you know. Yeah. Well, do you ever do you ever uh, uh, feel like ditch at the end of this section where he's like, man, I sometimes I should just listen to people uh, in, uh, instead of getting my neck broken. You know, do you ever feel that way? No. In fact, I feel like I would be on the other end of that. I would be the neck breaker. You would be the neck breaker. Interesting. Correct. Interesting. Correct. Correct. They're really aggressive for people that are already dead. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a fact. They all uh, I mean, there's the people I think I feel there's like three sects of people here, right? There's the people who are pulling the cart. No questions. There are the people who have just given up and are being dragged by the cart. And then there are the people who are just like really aggressive at all times with everybody uh, for one reason or another. 
Right. Like, we're going to get out of here, guys. I swear this time. This time it's happening. <laughs> so then we head out to uh, our Andy friends. Uh, and Kedavis is thinking about uh, looking out at some uh, boats or something and thinks about how uh, the Andy have grown to uh, want less and humans are just always trying to figure out ways to better their odds against everything else. Pete, what do you what do you think about that? That that thought of, uh, you know, humanity's trying to better the odds. I don't know. What do you think? <laughs> Good answer. Look, if you want to host the show, you can. You can't keep Uno reverse carding these. <laughs> Uno reverse. <laughs> I just want to hear what you think, bro. No, I, uh, no, I thought it was... Uh, I thought it was an interesting thought. I mean, it's it's kind of a I don't know. I, I, I don't know if it's a fantasy trope or if it's just like I feel like it is a fantasy trope. Like anytime there are humans involved, they're always like, oh, the humans are all so scrappy and they're always trying to do better than blah, blah, blah. You know, um, in in Mass Effect, the game, uh, humans are new to the intergalactic Senate pretty much. And they're only there for like 200 years before they're like, let's get a seat on the on the council. And the, everybody's like, no, we're thousands thousands of years old and then by the end you know humanity's like aren't we so strong and cool like look at us let's get on the count it's just like i feel like that is a trope that i'm just kind of sick of in a way <laughs> just like talking about how cool and good humanity is well, as like a it, whole you, you think it's revering those traits i feel like a lot of those times it's like those traits are presented in a negative light like you know tolkien's elves will be like man you know i feel like humans are often portrayed as short-sighted greedy and like uh you know willing to to destroy things to improve themselves you know mm. i can see that read and again like i said I, I don't have a lot of experience with that in in fantasy proper but just generally i feel like the the like immortal groups or whatever always see it as a negative thing but then you know we are supposed to as humans see it as like a or, or, or the humans in the story are like no that's actually what makes us really endearing which i just don't um, like. <laughs> if you want to hear more of AJ's Mass Effect thoughts, you can turn into their video game podcast, Asynchronous. That's wow. a free plug for AJ. Um, Thank you so much for the plug. I will say, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know how you think about this. It's funny. I was just talking to a friend about something similar in that uh, I don't know how much, uh, you know, wanting less is a good trait. Um, I think there's, you know, lots of people tell you wanting less is good, and I largely agree with that. Um, but also, it's not like the Andy are, like, crushing it, I would say. Right. Because, yeah, I guess they're not rapaciously destroying everything, but a lot of them are not feeling great, I would say. Mm -hmm. um, so there's probably some boring answer to be found there, but... <laughs> I also wonder when they talk about like humans wanting stuff and their like rapacious desire to whatever, how much is that kind of just conflating humanity with a type of modern capitalist value? Like are, are humans inherently that way or is that just kind of the society we live in now? You know, so I mean, I, we do I, live I, in I a society. I don't know the answer to that question, <laughs> but it's something I think. And yes, we do live in a society. Thank good, you. Good point, AJ. Joker makeup. Thank you. Uh, so is tells Namander that she doesn't trust Clip. Shocking. Everyone Shock says that all the fucking time. <laughs> and they Surprise! should be saying that more. No one trusts Clip. Clip's fucking crazy. I also yeah. like how everyone turns to each other like, hey, I got a bad feeling about Clip. <laughs> and they're like, yeah, me too. Yeah. Uh, but Kedavis is actually uh, wants to do something about it. And Amanda's like, let me help. And she's like, no, I'll do it. <laughs> uh, which has never gone wrong, ever. Uh, never. 
so I'm I'm curious. How soon, India, do you think we're gonna see we're gonna see this uh, Ketavis clip confrontation? Are we gonna see it at all? Um, I'm gonna say yes because we've all kind of just been wondering what clip and co have been doing right now. Yeah, mm-hmm. like they're really just they're taking their sweet ass time. So. We could use a little conflict. I agree. I would love some conflict, but part of me feels like it's going to be like they're going to keep talking about it. And then right before something like we reach like an inflection point of conflict, we're going to like open a gate and Animator Rake's going to be there and Clip's going to be like, hey, and Animator Rake's going to be like, you did everything I wanted you to do. Great. High five. And then the rest of them are going to be like, well, I guess we were in the wrong. I don't know. I do also think uh, Clip, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm now, I guess, just making up thoughts as they come. But I think Clip is going to have something to do with Dragnaper getting busted or whatever. I don't know. Anyway, so we move from one group of Andy to uh, the Andy High Priestess of Dark. And a witch of the Redeemer has come to ask for help. She's come to ask for Spinnock. And the priestess says, no, but if, you know, whenever you need help, we'll, we'll, we'll act. But also brings her into, like, some power room or whatever and powers this witch up with Kerald Galane, healing her, her dying heart. Um, yeah. yeah, Josh, what'd you, what'd you think about this act of mercy or like gratitude? Like what, what is this? What do you think? I left so conflicted. Cause I was like, first off, first thought was, did this just like steal years off her life or something? Cause she's <laughs> human. Like, is she going to walk out and then like three days from now die? I don't know. But also if you have this power, how are you not constantly like trying to heal people? Unless of course, using that power, like weakens it and you've only got so many juices left mm-hmm. i don't know but it eh. also very upset in general that they they did the typical elf fantasy bullshit which is like ah ha ha silly fast lit and they just every they're, they're, everything's so <laughs> slow to them and they don't understand the here and now because that doesn't matter they're gonna be alive forever mm-hmm. fuck them made me really mad <laughs> Do you think uh, do you think this witch is going to turn into some sort of like channel for Corald Galane to just like b- bust out of her face when when the time is right? No, I don't think we'll ever see her again, honestly. But no. All right. Yeah. Uh, uh, so India, Karsa comes back to Samar and Traveler. Uh, they do some talking. Samar talks about civilization a little bit. They argue again. And then the dragon shows up and transforms into an eater named Tulas Shorn who does not remember dying and refers to Samar as a priestess of burn. That's pretty cool. <laughs> I didn't see that coming. Sure. Lots of thoughts. Very into it. Love mm-hmm. the power. Feel like she's more powerful than she knows. Mm-hmm. Um, according to this guy, especially he says something, um, or girl, I don't really know if it's a girl. I, I don't gender. <laughs> it's made up. It is made up. But yeah. So burn is dying. Fact or fiction? That seems to be fact from what we've heard the last few books, uh, is that Burn is dying. Yes, because of the crippled god. Right. And so, I don't know. My thoughts are mostly about, like, what is the, like, what does that mean for Samar? What is it, how, like, she's a priestess of Burn who's dying. Like, does that have anything to do with her power? What is her power? Is, I don't know. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm really excited about it. I'm intrigued to see what comes of it and what, and what she learns and also, I don't know, her partnership now with like Traveler and Carsa make mm-hmm. them some kind of sick power trio. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, Samar was always pretty sick, but like now I think it's just solidified that she's way stronger and way more, can be more um, connected. I'm mm. excited to also see if she has like conversations with Burn now, because apparently like Burn has been dreaming of her. Why? What? Why? You know? Yeah. So I'm excited. Those are my yeah. thoughts. Loved it. Love it. Uh, Josh, you're very hot on Tula Shorn. What do you, what do you think about this whole conversation? And then also, uh, uh, the, the bit after this, where we see Tulas flying away, thinking about, you know, just thinking about his life That's and stuff. All I, all I want to talk about is that ending bit when, when he leaves sure. and he's thinking about these hounds of shadow. Cause mm-hmm. here's a collection of things I'm wondering. Number one, if he created the hounds of shadow, does that mean he's the original God of shadows, which mm-hmm. um, we know he can't be the one that the Tisty eater um, worship. Cause that's what's his face from laughs books. Gabbandari Blood, Blood Eye. Yes. So we know it's not, he's not him, right? Mm-hmm. But could he be older than him? Right, if he made the Hounds of Shadow, we know at some point, we know that Kellenved or Shadow Throne found the Throne of Shadow empty. Uh, it had been like lost or whatever. We know he claimed it. So was this guy the one who was in it before? Mm-hmm. Following that, this guy's name is Tula Shorn, the thing that Tisty Eater do, and they are the Shadow Ones, is they do the Shorning where they yep. forget you exist. Yep. Has he been forgotten by his people? Is he the original person who was Shorn? So many questions. Bucking into it. Can't wait. Would have never thought of that. India, I thought of it. 28 seconds ago when I when when AJ said Tula Shorn for the ninth time in a row and I was like oh. <laughs> yeah. I just feel like Samar just got pl- like Samar was always a cool character but I feel like she just got placed on like a long term which would be very upsetting if I'm wrong but like the long term map because I feel like she's gonna have something to do like with the crippled god and all of mm. that bullshit if she does eventually decide to like give in and worship yeah, I agree. I feel like uh, Samar up until this point has kind of just been a foil for Karsa and it's like done some of her own stuff, but most of the interactions she's had in the book have just been like with Karsa or in like in service to Karsa's kind of storyline. She's know? very supporting mm. character. She's yeah. definitely not a main. Pete, do you, yeah. did, you, did you feel this transition as well when you first read this, that, that Samar has kind of gone from a supporting to like a main? Before I... Peter even speaks... <clears throat> I want to say Peter always really liked Samar and I never knew why because there was not much to like. And now I think that this kind (laughs) of I'm learning that maybe there's a reason that's going to happen. Mm. Did you not like Samar because you thought she was like too much of a side character or something? I didn't not like Samar because I thought she was too much of a side character. I just didn't know. It wasn't about it was like you really like Samar. Yeah, you loved Samar. I love Samar. Samar. She's great. I like Samar a lot. You like Samar. I like Samar. <laughs> yeah, we all like, like Samar. Right. We all like we, okay. Samar. We all like Samar, okay? But you love But you Samar. love Samar. Oh. <laughs> you love her. <laughs> I am I have no comment. Um, but I love <laughs> Samar and I love kissing her in a tree. So that's what I like. Oh, okay. <laughs> K-I-S-S-I-N-G. Yeah. Cool. Uh Josh, do you uh, here's a thought. I mean, maybe not to Josh, but just here's a thought. Do we think Tula Shorn is just like fully manipulating Samar and like lying? I would have if not for the scene where he saves the horses. Mm-hmm. You don't you don't save a horse and not be a good person. All right. Big and <laughs> big and rich taught me that. <laughs> OK, so then we end this this section uh, of the book with uh, the Trigal Trade Guild flying through this storm, getting tossed about, and then ending up in uh, in Reach, Reach of Woe. Uh, there's a jag hut in a tower, says not again. There's some shrieking serpents, people, and then there's some shrieking ladies. 
Uh, and then Gruntle and the gang is is hanging out in the tavern. What uh, what what do you think's going on, Josh? What do you think's happening here? Couldn't tell yet. Can't wait to find out. Yeah. Big fan of this. Sure, India. The last time there was a bunch of screaming women, it proved to be not very good undead children, uh, and I didn't like yeah. it. Yeah. So I'm hoping that these screaming women are not impending doom for us. Yeah. Pete, what about you? Not again. <laughs> that was it. Yeah. That's that's what I came up with. Great. Uh, um, I I like the section earlier when the Jagat were talking about when the Jagat fought a war. That was cool. Yeah, that was cool. Very sick. Do you have anything else you wanted to say about that, or just that? It's nah, cool? just throwing out. Uh, that was you know I I like to poo poo the lore, but I liked that lore. I was about to say yeah, that's that's good lore. Now that's a good lore. That's a good lore. Well, that's the thing. I feel like like. If now if Tula Shorn keeps coming back and dropping more lore stuff like that, I'm going to get sick of it, you know. <laughs> but anyway, so, uh, yeah, that'll bring us to the end of this episode. Kind of kind of sped us through. So I'm sure we, we might have missed talking about something that you really loved in these chapters. And if you want to talk to us, you can email us at 10 very big books or tweet us also at 10 very big books. What do you what do you what do you, what do you think, gang? What do you how you how you feeling? I'm excited. <laughs> Because uh, a lot of loose threads right now. A lot of loose threads. India, you were kind of uh, annoyed, let's say, last week when when we were talking about the first two chapters of this of this section. Are you feeling any better about where we're going now, or are you still no. kind of? <laughs> I hate this book. I hate this book. I hate this book. <laughs> I hate it. I'm bored. I hate it. To be fair, you're always saying that, Eng. <laughs> that is true. that is fair. But you, I was asked. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So if I'm asked, I'm just going to answer. And That's why I this asked. book fucking sucks. <laughs> uh, Pete, no, you tweet. Not- hmm. Steve, Steve, it has nothing to do with you. I just, <laughs> it's not you, it's me. And I just don't enjoy it. The Pete, I believe we talked about this in the last episode, but you tweeted about how much this book rocks. Are you, are you looking forward yeah. to getting to the end of this book? I am, in fact, looking forward to getting to the end of the book. However, it, this, the, the thought that the book would end you know what? No, I'm stoked to read books nine and ten. So I'm totally chilling. I mean, my life's a mess. I'm in constant chaos, but reading this book is a good time. So that's nice. a positive. There you go. This book uh, adds well, to the chaos of my life. This book <laughs> is nothing but chaos to me. <laughs> and I also am excited to get to the end. And I think it's for a different reason than you. <laughs> But, but see, here's the thing. I do think, as Absalara was talking about, you know, what's on the other side of chaos? You know, who knows? Yeah. But I am this like... This book is Dragnapur, and we are all stuck inside <laughs> of it. Yes. Whoa. We all got to get tattoos. <laughs> um, I am like Draconis in that I believe if we just go into the chaos, perhaps we will, uh, you know, find a way out. So, Okay. Well... When I say chaos, you say go into it. Chaos. Go, go into, into it. it. <laughs> Bye, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>